This is Chapter 1 and 2 of The Sincere Huron. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Sincere Huron, or L'Ingenue, by Voltaire, translated by Francis Ashmore. Chapter 1 One day, St. Dunstan, an Irishman by nation, and a saint by trade, quitted Ireland, riding on a small mountain which took its course towards the coast of France, and set his saintship down in the bay of Saint-Malo. As soon as he had alighted, he gave his blessing to the mountain, which, after some profound bows, politely took its leave and returned to its former situation. On this spot St. Dunstan laid the foundation of a small priory, and gave it the name of Priory Mountain, which it still retains, as every one knows. In the year 1689, on the fifteenth day of July, in the evening, the abbot Kirkabon, prior of Our Lady of the Mountain, happened to take the air along the shore with his sister. The prior, now a little declined in age, was a very good pastor, greatly beloved of his neighbors, as he had formerly been of their wives. What added most to the respect paid him was that among all his clerical neighbors he only could walk to bed after supper. He was tolerably read in theology, and when weary of reading St. Augustine, he refreshed himself with Rabelais, so that all the world spoke well of him. Mademoiselle Kirkabon, who had never been married notwithstanding her hearty wishes to be so, had preserved a freshness of complexion in her forty-fifth year. Her character was that of a good and sensible woman. She was fond of pleasure, and was a devotee. As they walked, the prior, looking on the sea, said to his sister, It is here, alas, that our poor brother embarked with our dear sister-in-law, Madame Kirkabon, his wife, on board the Swallow frigate twenty years ago, to serve the king in Canada. Had he not been killed, we might probably see him again. Do you believe, says Mademoiselle Kirkabon, that our sister-in-law was eaten by the Cherokees, as we have been told? Certain it is. Had they not eaten her, she would have come back. I shall grieve for her all my life. She was a charming woman, and our brother, who had a great deal of understanding, would no doubt have obtained a large fortune. They were thus expressing themselves, with mutual tenderness, when they perceived a small ship enter the bay of rents with the tide. The vessel was from England, and came to sell provisions. The crew instantly leaped on shore, without taking any notice of the prior, or Mademoiselle, his sister, who were both shocked at the little attention shown them. Not such was the behavior of a well-formed youth, who, darting himself over the heads of his companions, stood suddenly before Mademoiselle Kirkabon. Unaccustomed to bowing, he made her a sign with his head. His figure and his dress attracted the notice of brother and sister. His head was uncovered, and his legs were bare. Instead of shoes, he wore a kind of sandal. His long hair flowed in tresses from his head. A small, close doublet displayed the symmetry of his shape, and he had a sweet martial air. He held in one hand a small bottle of Barbados water, and in the other a bag which contained a goblet and some sea-biscuit. He spoke French very intelligibly, 
and offered some of his Barbados water to Mademoiselle Kirkabon and her brother. He drank with them. He made them drink a second time, and all with an air of such native simplicity as charmed them quite. They offered him their service, and asked him who he was, and whither he was going. The young man answered that he knew not where he should go, that he had some curiosity, and that he had a desire to see the coast of France, that once he had seen it, he should return. The prior, judging by his accent that he was not an Englishman, took the liberty of asking what countryman he was. I am a Huron, answered the youth. Mademoiselle Kirkabon, amazed and enchanted to see a Huron, who had behaved so politely to her, begged the young man's company to supper. He complied immediately, and all three went together to the priory of Our Lady of the Mountain. The short and round Mademoiselle devoured him with her little eyes, and kept saying to her brother, This tall lad has a complexion of lilies and roses. What a fine skin he has for a Huron. Very true, sister, says the prior. She put a hundred questions one after the other, and the traveller answered them all very pertinently. The report was soon spread that they had a Huron at the priory, and all the genteel company of the country came to supper. The abbot of St. Ives came with Mademoiselle, his sister, a fine, handsome, well-educated girl. The bailiff, the tax-gatherer, and their wives came all together. The foreigner was seated between Mademoiselle Kirkabon and Mademoiselle St. Ives. The company eyed him with admiration. They all questioned him together. They did not confound the Huron, but at length, wearied with so much noise, he told them, in a sweet but serious tone, Gentlemen, in my country, one talks after another. How can I answer you if you will not allow me to hear you? Reason brings people to a momentary reflection. They were all silent. Monsieur Bailiff, who always made the most of a foreigner wherever he found him, and who was the most famous man for asking questions in the province, opening a mouth half a foot wide, began, Sir, what is your name? I have always been called the Sincere, answered the Huron, and the English have confirmed that name because I always speak as I think and act as I like. But being born a Huron, how did you get to England? I was carried thither, being made prisoner by the English, after some resistance. The English, who love brave people, because they are brave, and as honest as we, proposed my either returning to my family, or going with them to England. I accepted the latter, having natural inclination for travelling. But, sir, says the bailiff, with his usual gravity, how could you think of abandoning your father and mother? I never knew either father or mother, says the foreigner. This affected the company. They all repeated, neither father nor mother. We will supply their place, says the mistress of the house to her brother the prior. How interesting is the character of this Huron gentleman! He thanked her with a noble and proud cordiality, but gave her to understand that he wanted not the assistance of any one. I perceive, Mr. Huron, said the huge bailiff, that you talk better French than can be expected from an Indian. A Frenchman, he answered, whom they had made prisoner when I was a boy, and with whom I contracted a great friendship, instructed me. I presently learn what I have an inclination to learn. When I came to Plymouth, I met one of those French refugees whom you, I know not why, 
call Huguenots. He improved my knowledge of your language, and, as soon as I could express myself intelligibly, I came to see your country, because I like the French well enough when they do not ask too many questions. Notwithstanding this slight hint, the Abbe of St. Ives asked him which of the three languages pleased him the best, the Huron, the English, or the French. The Huron, to be sure, he answered. Is it possible? cries Mademoiselle Kirkabon. I always thought French was the first language after that of Lower Brittany. Then all were eager to know how, in Huron, they asked for snuff. He replied, Taya. What signifies to eat? Essenton. Mademoiselle Kirkabon was impatient to know how they called to make love. He informed her, Provender, and insisted, not without reason, that these words were well worth their synonyms in French and English. Provender especially seemed very pretty to the whole company. The prior, who laid in his library a Huron grammar, which had been given him by the Reverend Father Segar Thedat, a recollect and famous missionary, rose from the table to consult it. He returned quite panting with tenderness and joy, and acknowledged the foreigner for a true Huron. The company speculated a little on the multiplicity of languages, and all agreed that, had it not been to the, for the affair of the Tower of Babel, the whole world would have spoken French. The inquisitive bailiff, who till now had entertained some suspicions of the foreigner, conceived a, the deepest respect for him. He spoke to him with more civility than before, but the Huron took no notice of it. Mademoiselle St. Ives was very curious to know how the Hurons made love, by performing great actions to please objects which resembled you. All the company admired and applauded. Mademoiselle St. Ives blushed, and was extremely well pleased. Mademoiselle Kirkabon blushed likewise, but was not so well pleased. She was a little piqued that this gallantry was not addressed to her. But she was a good-natured woman, and her affection for the Huron was not at all diminished. She asked him, with great complacency, how many mistresses he had at home. Only one, answered the foreigner, Miss Abakaba, the good friend of my dear nurse. The reed is not more straight, the ermine is not more white, no lamb is meeker, no eagle is fiercer, nor any stag swifter than was my Abakaba. One day she pursued a hare not above fifty leagues from my habitation. A base Algonquin, who dwells a hundred leagues further, took the hare from her. I was told of it. I ran thither, and one stroke of my club leveled him to the ground. I brought him to the feet of my mistress bound hand and foot. Abakaba's parents were for eating him, but I always had a disrelish for such kind of dishes. I therefore set him at liberty, and made him my friend. Abakaba was so pleased with my conduct, that she preferred me to all her lovers. Alas, how she would have continued to love me, had she not been devoured by a bear. I slew the bear, and for a long time wore his hide. But that has not consoled me. Mademoiselle St. Ives felt a secret pleasure at hearing that Abakaba had been his only mistress, and that she was no more. Yet she understood not the cause of her own pleasure. Every eye was riveted on the Huron, and he was highly applauded by the whole company for delivering an Algonquin from the spits of his countrymen. 
The inconsiderate bailiff was now grown so violent that he even proceeded to ask the Huron what religion he was of, whether he had chosen the English, the French, or that of the Huguenots. I am of my own religion, said he, just as you are of yours. Lord, cried Mademoiselle Kirkabon, I see already that the profane English have not once thought of baptizing him. Good God, said Mademoiselle St. Ives, how is it possible that the Hurons should not be Roman Catholics? Have not those reverend fathers, the Jesuits, converted all the world? The Huron assured her that in his country nobody was converted, that no true American ever changed his opinion, and that there was not in their language a word to express inconstancy. These last words extremely pleased Mademoiselle St. Ives. Oh, we'll baptize him, we'll baptize him, said Miss Kirkabon to the prior. You shall have the honor, my dear brother, and I will be his godmother. The abbot of St. Ives shall present him at the font. It will make a fine appearance. It will be talked of all over Brittany, and will do us great honor. The company were all of the same mind with the mistress of the house. They all cried, We'll baptize him. The Huron interrupted them by saying that in England every one was allowed to live as he pleased. He rather showed some aversion to the proposal which was made, and could not help telling them that the laws of the Huron were full as good as those of Lower Brittany. He finished with saying that he should return the next day. The bottles grew empty, and the company went to bed. After the Huron had been conducted to his room, Mademoiselle Kirkabon and her friend, Mademoiselle St. Ives, could not help peeping through the keyhole to see how a Huron went to bed. They saw that he spread the blankets on the floor, and laid himself upon them with the finest attitude in the world. CHAPTER Two: THE HURON CALLED THE ANGENOUE, ACKNOWLEDGED BY HIS RELATIONS. THE ANGENOUE, ACCORDING TO CUSTOM, AWOKE WITH THE SUN, AND AT THE CROWING OF THE COCK, WHICH IS CALLED IN ENGLAND AND HURONIA THE TRUMPET OF THE DAY, HE DID NOT IMITATE WHAT IS STYLED GOOD COMPANY who languish in the bed of indolence till the sun has performed half his daily career, unable to sleep, but not disposed to rise, and lose so many precious hours in that doubtful state between life and death, and who nevertheless complain that life is too short. He had already traversed two or three leagues, and killed fifteen brace of game with shot only, when, upon his return, he found the prior of Our Lady of the Mountain and his discreet sister walking in their nightcaps in their little garden. He presented them with the spoils of his morning labor, and taking from his bosom a kind of little talisman which he constantly wore about his neck, he entreated them to accept it as an acknowledgment of their kind reception they had given him. It is, he said, the most valuable thing I am possessed of. I have been assured that I shall always be happy whilst I carry this little toy about me, and I give it to you that you may always be happy. The prior and mademoiselle smiled with pity at the frankness of the ingenue. This present consisted of two little portraits very ill done, tied together with a greasy piece of string. Mademoiselle Kirkabon asked him if there were any painters in Huronia. No, replied the ingenue. I had this curiosity from my nurse. 
her husband had obtained it by conquest in stripping some of the french of canada who had made war upon us this is all i know of the matter the prior looked attentively upon these pictures whilst he changed colour his hands trembled and he seemed much affected by our lady of the mountain he cried out i believe these to be the faces of the captain my brother and his lady mademoiselle after viewing them with the same emotion thought likewise they were both struck with astonishment and joy blended with grief they were melted they both wept their hearts throbbed and during their disorder the pictures were interchanged between them at least twenty times in a second they seemed to devour the hurons pictures with their eyes they asked one after another and even both at once at what time and in what place how these miniatures fell into the hands of his nurse they reckoned and computed the time from the captain's departure they recollected having received advice that he had penetrated as far as the country of the hurons and from that time they had never heard anything more of him the huron had told them that he had never known either father or mother the prior who is a man of sense observed that he had a little beard and he knew very well that hurons never had any his chin was somewhat hairy and he was therefore the son of a european my brother and sister-in-law were never seen after the expedition against the hurons in sixteen sixty nine my nephew must have been sucking at the breast the huron nurse has preserved his life and been a mother to him at length after a hundred questions and answers the prior and his sister concluded that the huron was their own nephew they embraced him whilst tears streamed from their eyes and the huron laughed to think that an indian should be the nephew to a prior in lower brittany all the company went downstairs monsieur de st ives who is a great physiognomist compared the two pictures with the huron's countenance they observed very skilfully that he had the mother's eyes the forehead and nose of the late captain kirkabon and the cheeks common to both mademoiselle st ives who had never seen either father or mother was strenuously of the opinion that the young man had a perfect resemblance of them they all admired the providence and the interconnectedness of the events of this world in a word they were so persuaded so convinced the birth of the huron that he himself consented to be the prior's nephew saying that he would as soon have him for his uncle as another he went to return thanks in the church of our lady of the mountain whilst the huron with an air of indifference amused himself with drinking in the house the english who had brought him over and who were ready to set sail came to tell him that it was time to depart probably said he to them you have not met with any of your uncles or aunts i shall stay here go you back to plymouth i give you all my clothes as i no longer have any occasion for things of this world since i am the nephew of a prior the english set sail without being at all concerned whether the huron had any relations or not in lower brittany after the uncles the aunt and the company had sung te deum after the bailiff had once more overwhelmed the huron with questions after they had exhausted all their astonishment joy and tenderness the prior of the mountain and the abbey st ives concluded that the huron should be baptized with all possible expedition the case was very different 
of the tall, robust Indian of twenty-two, then an infant who is regenerated without his knowing anything of the matter. It was necessary to instruct him, and this appeared difficult, for the Abbe St. Ives supposed that a man who was not born in France could not be endowed with common sense. The prior indeed observed to the company that though, in fact, the ingenuous gentleman, his nephew, was not so fortunate as to be born in Lower Brittany, he was not, upon that account, any way deficient in sense, which might be concluded from all his answers, and that doubtless nature had greatly favoured him, as well on his father as on his mother's side. He was then asked if he had ever read any book. He said he had read Rabelais, translated into English, and some passages in Shakespeare, which he knew by heart, that these books belonged to the captain on board whose ship he came from America to Plymouth, and that he was very well pleased with them. The bailiff failed not, putting many questions to him concerning these books. I acknowledge, said the Huron, I thought I understood some things, but not the whole. The Abbe of St. Ives reflected upon this discourse, that it was in this manner that he had always read, and that most men read no other way. "'Have you,' said he to the Huron, "'doubtless read the Bible?' "'Never, Monsieur Abbe. "'It was not among the captain's books. "'I have never heard it mentioned.' "'This is the way of those cursed English,' said Mademoiselle Kirkabon. "'They mind more a piece of Shakespeare's, "'a plum pudding, or a bottle of rum, "'than they do the Pentateuch. "'For this reason they have never converted any Indian in America. "'They are certainly cursed by God.' and we shall conquer Jamaica and Virginia from them in a very short time. Be this as it may, the most skilful tailor in all St. Malo was sent for, to dress the Huron from head to foot. The company separated, and the bailiff went elsewhere to display his inquisitiveness. Mademoiselle St. Ives, in parting, returned several times to observe the young stranger, and made him lower curtsies than ever she did any one in her whole life. The bailiff, before he took his leave, presented Mademoiselle St. Ives with a stupid dolt of a son, just come from college, but she scarce looked at him, so much was she taken up with the politeness of the Huron. This is the end of chapters 1 and 2 of The Sincere Huron by Voltaire.